Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and by golly, what is that over there? It's Zach Mabry. Zach? How are you? We're back. I'm (laughs) good. I'm glad to be back doing a podcast. Um, I think a lot of people thought we were just a Twitter account. Yeah. Oh, Briefly. hey, great segue. If you want to tweet us, you can find us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z A C Mabry. Email us podcast at RomanCircusBlog.com. Find us on iTunes, rate and review us if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and kind of SoundCloud. Zach, it's been about a month. We didn't do a breakdown on how Lent went. How was your Lent? Lent was, uh, it, it was a good Lent. I think that this Lent I'd really kind of, um, I really kind of got to delve into sort of the, the real, the mystery of Lent as far as, as sacrifice and, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I felt like this Lent topped previous Lents, um, that's you know, good. on the on my on my Lent bracket, 2018, 2018 did did well. How about you? Yeah, it was all right. It was, it was. Uh, by the end, I was pretty ready for it to be over, if I could be honest. Um, but yeah, and Holy Week was pretty intense here in LA. There was a, I would say, over the three days, it was probably close to eight hours of church time, which I don't know if that's completely ridiculous, but it was, uh, yeah, jam-packed. And so you guys had the dispensation for the pre, uh, pre-55 Holy Week, right? Yeah, for the 1951 Holy Week, and uh, I would Well, s- like I- the 1570 through 1951 Holy Week, those... You could follow along. There was I, I talked to someone who went to it who said they followed along using the uh, like a five hundred year old um, uh, I don't know what we call it, ordinary that they got um, online. So it, it it did go away in fifty one though. Yeah, that's pretty intense that it that they were able to follow along on that. I it was good. I also. You could have told me anything, and I would have been like, "Oh yeah, this is from the uh, pre nineteen fifty one Holy Week," because you know I didn't really, I don't know. It was it was fun to watch. I don't I don't know the ins and outs that well, and the differences, all that great. But it was uh, yeah, it was good. The priests really enjoyed it, which was fun for them. And yeah, other than that, it was it was good. It, Nice. Well, that's why we go to mass to have have fun our way. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. No. The, the interesting thing about the fifty five reforms is that there are like actual typos in the official version of the form. Really? Of and, yeah. Of yes. And so they were they were sloppy, and so Do they we? were they were much improved in sixty nine when the Novus Ordo was rolled out. I mean, in a lot of ways, they were like that was an improvement to uh, the 55 stuff. Do we give them a pass because they didn't have spell check and it took a lot of work to go back and correct them on whatever they used to write that up? Um, we, we give them a pass because as far as I know, um, dear Pope Pius XII was basically a walking corpse at this point yeah. and was very sick with cancer and was doing these like weird cellular treatments to try to get cured. And so we don't hold him um, we don't hold him accountable for for the Holy Week reforms that he allowed through. Um, this, I think, and uh, spell check. I think in fifty one, fifty five, and there it was just post leeches sucking your blood to get the poison out. Right? They had just gotten past that, and they moved on to the next best thing. Yeah, which was just beat the cancer out of you. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I mean they they. Apparently, he was the medical treatments he was undergoing because I mean he loved the church and he was trying to you know continue to be the Holy Father. Of course, um, I you know everyone knows that I, my favorite 20th century pope was Pius XI, and so 
Um, Everyone I, I, you knows know, that. I, I, I always tell people that. Um, so I, I'm not the expert on Pius Twelfth, but I do know that he he did battle cancer and that the treatments that he was willing to undergo were very painful treatments. And it was some like new technology at the time that was, yeah, about as sophisticated as leeching. So Pius the 13th was Jude law, right? <laughs> well, the conspiracy says that it was the Cardinal Siri was Pius the 13th, but I, I really don't recommend digging into those conspiracies because they're just lunatics. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Jude law was that when he, Oh, that's the new that, or that was that show. The, the young, young pope, pope, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't... Was that his name? I don't know. I That's what I thought it was. I didn't watch it, to be honest. So it, do you have like a papal name on reserve just in case? No, I don't. You don't? No. Oh, I do. Oh, sorry. Sorry I've offended you. What is yours? Gregory the 17th. Okay, why? Well, I mean, I think Gregory the 16th was a great... Pope, and he wrote Morari Vo, um, mm. which was one of the best encyclicals, and you know, just eminently quotable to this day. Um, and Zach, you know, so I, 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 what you don't you don't want to be the coach that follows the legend. You don't want to be the coach that follows John Wooden at UCLA. You don't want well, to follow Phil Jackson on the Lakers. You want to be the you want to be Gregory the Eighteenth. You don't want to follow Beyonce in Destiny's Child. Um, <laughs> Be well, okay, but you know, I think it would be sort of cliche if the next pope, if you know, if somebody were to be pious at 13th, they'd be like, okay, we get it, you're conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, even Leo the 14th, you know, but but like Gregory the 16th, I mean, it, it, you read Morarivo and it, it's like he was a prophet. I mean, I don't think he was, and I don't, you know, I mean, we don't believe that popes have these magical powers unless we're seated at the contest. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and we don't think that they're like alien people either. If we're seated at the contest, we would believe that the pope had magical powers. There currently is not a pope, so. Right, because there's no magical people. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's right. But so, I don't know. I think that he would be good um, when I'm looking at, I mean, maybe Clement. What was the last Clement like? Um you know, but I mean, the piouses to me, the odd numbered piouses um, ex- exceed the even numbered piouses in their um, excellency as popes. But okay. I do, I mean, obviously, very fond of, of Pius X. Um, but I think that, you know, uh, what do they call him? Popo No No? Pius IX was excellent. <laughs> Pius XI, I mean, he wrote encyclicals about just everything, and everyone should read them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Pius V, um, he helped codify the Mass. So very little changes made at the time, but they they you know kind of unified some of the practices. Um, you know he he led the Catholic Reformation, um, the the only legitimate Reformation that took place in that century. Um, you know he led that with the Council of Trent, and then gave us you know the um, the Church's first universal Catechism that still stands above all other catechisms as you know, the most excellent and the first uh, universal catechism from the church. So, you know, odd-numbered piouses, scoreboard, you know, leans towards them. Uh, but, you know, let's we want to talk about these heavenly popes because we do have a different topic, if I'm not mistaken. Zach, it's very scary. On, on a very scary episode of Roman Circus Podcast, so is this... What is it? Is this a PG-13 episode? We're going to need a, uh, um, yes, it's a, a PG-13. We have the clicker for every time anyone says H-E double hockey stick. Oh, whoa. You guys are big hockey fans out there in L.A., right? Big uh, Kings fans? I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a Kings fan. I would say I enjoy hockey. I'm more of a Arizona Coyotes fan, but they are not great they've been playing well lately but um yeah i went to a stars game and i was like i feel robbed that I was never into hockey until fairly recently yeah it's, it's exciting so fun it's so fun yeah and they, side note they do this weird thing with the camera where they videotape people eating 
uh-huh. and then they play it on reverse on the screen. Nice. And it's actually very not gross <laughs> because like the food looks fine until you put it in your mouth. So playing it in reverse, the food like comes back together. And it's just so funny watching people like pull a, you know, a hot dog out of their mouth or pull pizza. You know I mean? It's like, I, I mean, you know, those stars, anyway. those stars are wild. Yeah. Totally wild. Zach. Um, we, anyway, a month H-E double toothpicks. Yeah. We promised people a month ago that we were going to talk about hell. And, uh, then, you know, we didn't for a few weeks, but here we are back to uh, take talk about the third thing and the final four things. What's the technical term, the final? The four last things. Yeah, that's the one. So this is the third one. It's hell. So, yes. we, so we've died. We've gone to the judgment, and the judgment did not go our way. Well, I guess technically it went our way. It always goes your way, yeah. Right. So it, did, it, it went our way and sent us down... To the bad place. If I do the bad thing, will I go to the bad place? And yeah, so what are we? What is what is your initial thought? We're here. What are you thinking? Are you happy to be here? Are you upset? Are you angry at me? Did I push you here? And now we're just angrily yelling at each other for eternity because it's not our fault. It's actually your fault and my fault that uh, we ended up here. Um, I mean, it's obviously not my fault, but (laughs) no, um, well, uh, yeah, I guess that, you know, that is like the joke, right? Um, oh, you know, I'll go to hell, but at least my friends will be there. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like, I mean, hell is sort of the perfect opposite of heaven. So just like, you know, there's rejoicing at each new soul in heaven, um, each, each new person to enter hell, sort of said by the theologians, increases the the overall misery of everybody there. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, it's like being at the DMV, <laughs> um, except it's infinitely worse, but, uh, it's a good, you know, go sit at the DMV for a little bit and it'll scare the, the hell right out of you. Yeah. It, uh, okay. So hell is the DMV. What a, what a, uh, cookie cutter classic joke to make. We're just making, we're just making all the standard jokes. Well, this is going to be like the most cliched episode because yeah. the uh, a lot of the cliches are are actually somewhat helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you you do hear a lot of flack about the sort of medieval depictions of hell, but um, you know, I mean, the the most recent and the most sort of authoritative description we have, what I would encourage people to look at is the is Our Lady of Fatima. Right. She gave a vision of hell to the the, the children, and so you know, read that and then you kind of ask yourself if that sort of lines up with these medieval depictions. And I, I think it does. So, um, that's a good place to, to look. Mm-hmm. Did someone just walk in on you? I heard a door creaking open. Is this, it is a horror movie. We are talking about hell. Did a door just open on its own? Um, it opened cause I opened it because my Uber eats are here. Oh, okay. So we can leave, we can leave this in or edit it out. But my tacos have arrived. Okay, we'll pause, we'll leave it in, we'll pause, and then we'll come back. Okay, we're back. Zach has secured his food, and he has eaten his food, and we are ready to continue. So, Matt, um, you know, I was going to tell you something, but then I remembered that it's a secret. Oh, I see what you did there. Very clever, Zachary. I'm going to read the first secret of Fatima, the vision of hell. It's not very long. Buckle up, kids. Our Lady showed us... This is from uh, Sister Lucia's memoir, her third memoir. Our Lady showed us a great sea of fire which seemed to be under the earth. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form like transparent burning embers, all blackened and burnished bronze, floating about in the conflagration now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in a huge fire without weight or equilibrium, and amid shrieks and groans of pains and despair which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. 
The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repulsive likeness to frightful and unknown animals, all black and transparent. This vision lasted but an instant. How can we ever be grateful enough to our kind Heavenly Mother who had already prepared us by promising, in the first apparition, to take us to heaven? Otherwise, I think we would have died of fear and terror. So, uh, yeah, a little light reading before bed. I'm terrified about the conflagration. What what was that word? Floating about in the conflagration. Ugh. I'm going to be having nightmares about conflagrations. Do you even know what and that so means? So are all the listeners. I, it, means, it's, it means business, okay? <laughs> no, I don't. What does that mean? It's a word that means business. An extensive fire that destroys a great deal of land or property. Or in this case, souls, Zach. Ooh. Well, that's... Wow. Um... Yeah, well, you know, I think it's important to know that, you know, that comes from Our Lady. That's an approved apparition. Um, you know, it was capped off with a, a historical event, the Miracle of the Sun, that was, you know, reported on in the press. And, you know, I, I think somebody was joking about, like, they said, uh, joke, not taking scripture literally, woke, not taking history literally. Yeah. So the, the you know, the Sun Miracle was widely reported in the Masonic press in in Portugal. So sure. I mean, it, not believing it's like not believing the Titanic sank, you know, it's, it's not, it, it, I mean, it's, a, it's reported. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, so you hear these very unhelpful depictions of hell, like, Oh, it's just an empty place or, you know, it's just nothing. It's just it's like, like, whoa, just pitch black. And you're just sitting there wishing you were in heaven. Yeah you know, like the beginning of a laser light show or something. Yeah. But it, uh, I, I just find those unhelpful. I mean, and, and novel, they don't really come from any, anything authoritative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like Von Balthazar that started kind of floating that, that stuff around. And then it got picked up by some sort of, you know, some of the kind of pop theologians and stuff. But like, well, it just it, sounds, I mean, it's, if you're going to think about hell, which is a scary thing to think about, it's a little more nice and refreshing to think about them in just pitch dark instead of, uh, burning in con burning with all the conflagrations. Yeah. You know, and if you were making up your own, you know, reality, then fine, like make it, make it comfortable. But I mean, right. there's other ways to make friends than pretending that there's no hell. So like, you know, there's, <laughs> that's, that's a great quote. Um, you know, and, and there's obviously like the kind of age old heresy that basically is the annihilation of souls. But like, you know, if you're going to heaven, you go to heaven. And if not, you just cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that can't happen, and part of the reason for that is God's love. You know, God loves all of the souls in hell um, sure. because they have existence, and he loves He loves their existence, and, and he, you know, he created them. He didn't create them to be damned, but he created them, and, and you know, in that sense, and ontologically, they're good. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it just isn't—I I guess I can't really see what purpose it serves to to contradict, you know— centuries of of the church's teaching these you know very carefully constructed works of poetry and other artwork um to help bring the doctrines alive and then you know a vision granted by the queen of heaven herself well, i don't really see it as helpful to try to downplay all of that and make it boring well but the point is to make it less scary we're afraid of scary things or we're afraid of you know the knock on Catholicism is we're always, you know, trying to put the fear into people. So people don't want to do that. They're scared of fear. So if you make, you, if you can't really refute hell, you might as well make it basically just a padded room where you have to spend eternity. Right. And it's, it's one of those where like, you know, you're letting, you're letting those attitudes, uh, you know, take precedent over, over what's been revealed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's the thing. Like this, this isn't a, this isn't a club. But we're not like enthusiasts over something. Like 
the truths that we have in the church have been revealed. And so we're, we're just, pat, our, our job is to receive it and keep it intact and pass it along. Right. Well, and so, remember, but remember it, uh, we, uh, you know, if you, cause you didn't have the benefit of Catholic schooling and I don't say that, uh, facetiously that I say, does, I, that's I say, true i haven't seen hell the way just kidding yeah no um, i don't say yeah I, I don't say the benefit of catholic schooling as a joke i mean it really is a benefit to it but also at the same time we're going through that school where the schooling where we can only know what we're taught and we are not taught anything scary about hell we're almost not even taught about hell other than we know that it's a word and it's apparently a place that's not heaven so right. that's, well, what, that's, that's why, that's when, why, but that's where all this, that's where all these not really having a grasp on what hell is images come from is because it's basically just us making it up in our heads and then telling people what we think and them just affirming it because they are also making something up in their own heads as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I think that it's, it's, you know, if you can step back for, you know, we're not trying to scare anyone by Actually, having this episode. Sorry. But I, it's, it's a cool topic. I mean, if you think about all the doctrines of hell and how it's sort of the perfect opposite of heaven, I mean, everything about hell reveals something about heaven because, because they're right. opposites. And right. I think, I think your average person would, would find it fascinating to, I, I wanna, you know, to go through it. I want to amend what I said. The only thing we, the, only thing we know about hell is what we make up in our own minds and what we see in cartoons. Like that's really all it is. Like it's, it's the place where Homer Simpson goes and gets donuts shoved down his throat for eternity. Like it's a, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Homer Simpson, there's, there's, there's some really good philosophy, uh, in the Simpsons. Truth be told. Sure. Um, they have, obviously my favorite is there. They totally nail it with the natural law. Um, on with regards to eating meat, because uh, Homer Homer says, "Well, if God didn't want us to eat animals, why did He make them out of meat?" <laughs> yeah, and I mean, actually, that's very profound. Like that is sort of the natural. That is pretty much a whole semester. No, I mean, not a whole semester, but that's natural theology. You know, in that little nugget. Um, so you know, go read DQ McInerney to get the, the rest of the details, but. Um, why why would God make animals out of food if he didn't want us to eat them is a pretty good pretty good you know start to natural theology um but uh no so I, on the health thing I, I guess I, I mean it's interesting like I feel like a lot of these religion classes people take are total snooze fest and do you really want to sit there and debate you know monophysitism and stuff unless you're just like a complete nerd like a lot of us are <laughs> no but i mean do you want to talk about you know this worm that never gets full or or you know the fact that people who you know uh you know, i think there's this idea that the people that are in heaven for less just get perpetually blown around by gusts of wind those are artistic depictions but they sort of they echo what was taught at the council of florence and um i think leon about the fact that the punishments in hell are proportionate to the sins committed. Right. So we we know it, it's defined that there's different punishments for someone who dies guilty of only original sin and someone who dies guilty of personal moral sins. Yeah. Um, but then what the other councils have said is, you know, basically the punishments are different. And so then you have Dante's, you know, very carefully um, constructed poem. And I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, that's not like a dogmatic poem, but I mean, it, it is, again, it's, it's helpful to read besides it being fascinating. If you find a good translation, mm -hmm. um, and then just, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there being levels, I mean, t it's all very fascinating and really you can't understand heaven without understanding hell because heaven is outside of our, our understanding and I mean, and so is hell, but because they're opposites, you know, they reveal something about each other. So the, the, the more you downplay hell, the more you're necessarily downplaying heaven. Oh, wow. And, and heaven is worth getting excited about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, again, it's, it's also like, it's like telling people everybody's going to get an A 
they're not going to study. And so if you if you can't personally keep anybody out of hell, then you shouldn't be telling people they can't go there. I mean, you can't stop them from going there. So why would you tell them they can't, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, I don't I, I, I'm open to being corrected on on that point. And if there's some reason to downplay all of that and and not talk about what the church has kind of always said on hell. But I mean, well, besides we, it being interesting, it's probably helpful. Right. There is, there is a heresy that unfortunately some people cling on to that says there's reasonable expectation that hell is empty, that it's just a place that exists that is populated by no one, which is not true. But right. I mean, in Scripture, you've got the people in um, uh, Deuteronomy. That is, a, that is a book the, in the Bible. I mean, they fall into hell for, for schism, um, one, you know, one of the worst sins you can commit. Right. And so, uh, I mean, we've got their names are recorded in Scripture. Um, and then, it, I mean, it, it was the teaching of all the fathers that Judas is in hell. Right. Well, it's um, Dante in the, puts him in Satan's mouth, but in the or what? Well, in the Bible, he says it says it would be better for Judas to not have been born. So that's uh, that's kind of how you know that where he ended up was not all that great. Right. Because I mean, he says, does he say that future tense like it would be better? Too like he doesn't say it like right now it would be better. It would, he's it saying like, would have been better for him to not have been born. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, our Lord didn't just throw his words around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's there. And I mean, it's 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 funny. One time um, I was talking to a priest and I was just saying, I mean, I was being honest. I said, you know, sometimes I just don't, I don't see the point in like, in doing all this and in trying to grow in virtue and in trying, you know, it just, some days I'm just kind of like, meh. Right. And he, he hands me a book called the dogma of hell. Oh, I was going to bring that up. I I read that and I had that. Yeah. Continue. Well, and he said, you know, the, the best thing to do is you kind of got the carrot and the stick and you're running after the carrot, which is eternal life, which is funny that they use carrots, which are just, not i mean it's such a boring food like but you know you got the carrot on the stick and you're running after it you know when when the carrot's not appealing you know take the stick and i you know i think that that's very acknowledging of our tendency to take our eye off the prize Mm -hmm. um and that you know reflecting i mean the reason you reflect on all four of the last things is that they do they sort of you know the more you can learn about hell the more you're going to desire heaven and you know for yourself and everybody else. Right. Well, and, and, it, and the more, sorry, continue go on. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your thought. By all means. Well, and I guess the more you, you, the more you drain all of the sort of, you know, intense parts of hell, the, the let, the more you take away that particular help in, in, you know, carrying on in the race. Yeah, the race where you're chasing a carrot around on a stick. I was going to say a few things. The gluten-free carrot, too. Yeah. So I don't know if the dogma of hell helped, but it certainly kind of, I guess it helped, but I I didn't, I was kind of already leaning towards this way, but the dogma of hell, the book by Reverend Shope, Shope, is that how you spell it? Yes. It's a tan book. Oops, sorry, go ahead. S-C-H-O-U-P-P-E. Yeah, and it's it's by Tan, and, and they have this new habit of discontinuing books that are helpful, but um, hopefully Tan is still publishing this. It's this little red book, um, and, you know, it's a great one. One of the things, yeah, that I was going to say, learning, learning more about hell, I would say in the beginning, and you can scold me for this if you want after I say it, but I think... Early on in the faith, it is okay to believe and to go to Mass and to do things just out of fear of going to hell. Now, I don't necessarily think that helps you grow over time, so you want 
to morph that into things like virtue, grow, you know, growing in virtue, but just purely on a, I just do not want to go to hell. I think that is a pretty okay way to kind of propel yourself in the faith initially. Do you, do you have any? I, I no, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously that's imperfect. But well, that's why um, I mean. You know, you I mean, I think it's also continue. fine to go to mass because you think it's beautiful, and mm-hmm. it is beautiful. But then you know, I mean, yeah, I think that there's a lot of different roads that lead um, to heaven, and if if the only thing that works is is fear of hell, um, then start there. And I think that that will dissipate because part of you know, when you're in the state of grace, you have supernatural charity and love of God, and that's going to overshadow the fear of hell. Um, you know, very powerfully. And, right. you know, as you continue to pray, grow closer to God, grow in sanctifying grace, um, you know, purity of intention will begin to set in. Mm-hmm. And not just going to Mass and praying to avoid hell, but you'll start to do everything you do out of love for God. You know, getting up and going to work, uh, you know, taking care of your family, everything will be out of love of God and, you know, slowly only out of love of God. Right. Um, so, but you start with, with whatever it is. I mean, go to mass cause there's donuts after it, I, I see nothing wrong. I, I don't, you don't sit home until you have a perfect intention for going to mass and, you know, don't, don't not pray until you've got perfect prayer. I mean, just, I saw you my, know, just do it. I saw my parents this weekend and we were sitting around the table, uh, having deep theological talks. Well, sort of, but one thing I said is I think it's pretty rare to find someone who just has a pure moment of inspiration to go to mass. If you've fallen away from the faith, I think it's tough waiting. If so, if you're waiting for that moment, it might actually not come as you were kind of saying, like it, you go, which leads me to go for go because you want to, go because of your parents or go for donuts, go for something, but just don't wait for like this moment of just unadulterated, pure in your face. You can't handle this inspiration. Right. I mean, the saints didn't start out with that, even the greatest saints. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. And so God's going to, God's going to, you know, he, he orders, he orders everything to our salvation. And so if that means for some people, um, you know, their car breaks down and the person, you know, and somehow they end up at mass or somebody, you know, accidentally stumbles into mass looking for, um, you know, in Europe, a lot of the churches are bars now. So they think that this one must be a bar too. (laughs) Um, you know, I mean, God's not you're not going to start out with with going to mass purely out of charity. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, I think that fear of hell is a very powerful motivator um, as a starting point. But again, I mean, you can't, you can't become a saint. Fear of hell is not how you become a saint, right. but it can be the, the, it can be the first steps. And it's, it's something I wouldn't deprive people of. I wouldn't try to downplay that aspect of it. You because, don't, you don't want you know, to deprive people of the fear of hell. That's very nice of you. I want to deprive them of, of going to hell. Right. And I don't care. I don't care how that is achieved. Um, so, but no, because I believe it. I have faith. I mean, I have faith in charity. I believe that charity will overpower the fear of hell, um, you know, quite quickly and powerfully and fully. So I, I'm not that bothered by the concept of, of people starting out with fear of hell because I'm confident that that love of God will outshine that, you know, in in time right so that's this another thing i was going to say you kind of touched on it you want to deprive people of going to hell not deprive them of the fear of hell is learning about hell has kind of softened me to the point of i i don't want anyone even horrendous people to end up in hell like i i pray for moments of right before they're their deaths or if they're put to death or if they just die in prison like for moments of repentance right so it, before when i didn't know a lot about hell i'm not saying i was like this hardened guy that would just hope that every murderer ended up in hell because that's what they deserve like 
we, none of us deserve heaven, which we'll touch on, but we get there through the grace of God. So we don't want anyone to end up in hell because we want God to get everybody. We want everyone, God to win everyone in the end. Right. I mean, I hope heaven is full of, of thieves and murderers and crooks and, and, you know, everything. I mean, heretics even, whatever. Um, the... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't, like you said, I mean, our Lord said from the cross, I thirst. And, you know, a lot of the the saints say he's saying that he thirsts for souls. And so I, I don't want to deprive him of, of any of the souls that he's created, right. of having them in his eternal friendship. And so it, it, it's almost a bigger win, the, the more horrendous the person's sins were in this life. So, I mean, bar none, I hope that everybody... You know, there's there's nobody that I'm saying, oh, yeah, hell for them for sure. <laughs> and there's nobody. I mean, there's a lot of works of art that depict Martin Luther in hell. And it, I mean, it's hard. It's very hard to see how that could not be the case. Right. But I mean, of course, I, I hope that at the end he turned back to God. Um, but because, you know, that would be great. Um, but I don't think that it's helpful to pretend that nobody's ever gone to hell. Right. So that's, it's like it, I think that that's what happens is that a lot of times we're accustomed to believing what we want. So because we don't want anybody in hell, we just believe that no one's in hell. Sure. So then when I say, well, you know, I, I really think that scripture and almost all the saints indicate that there are people in hell. Mm-hmm. It's assumed that, that I must want that to be true because I believe it. And, you know, that's, it's sort of like an American capitalistic view that will believe what you want. So if you believe it, then you must want it. But that, you know, that isn't the case. I I don't want anybody in hell. Just speak it into existence. If you say there's no hell, then, you know, there's no hell, apparently. Yeah, speak it into existence. Be your own God, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he's, I guess that's a good, I've always heard that, speak it into existence. But it just dawned on me that that is kind of what God did. So it is sort of a make yourself God mentality. Yeah. Treat yourself. That's the one. Treat yourself to no hell. Treat yourself to the hell not existing. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think of one thing. Uh, we oh, Go ahead. Hell has kind of been in the news because of uh, a, an interview with Pope Francis. A, a few weeks back. Now, mm-hmm. I I read, I'm sure you saw about that they, the claim is that Pope Francis claimed that uh, there are no souls in hell because they've all been obliterated. Is that is that correct? Um, I I've seen. I think that was on like Drudge. Okay. And I mean, I think that was being reported. Well, I was going to say, um, I, I, I didn't follow it super closely. To be honest, yeah. It's, but. I'm not sure if he said it, he said it in an interview and I'm not, even that's kind of up for debate, I guess about what he actually said. But the idea, that's another, the idea that there are no souls in hell and the souls in hell just get obliterated into basically non-existence is also a heresy because when God, when God, uh, what is it? When a soul is brought into existence, it will exist for eternity. It does. It right. do, it doesn't like reach some some evaporation point where, unfortunately, it it did its fill of bad things and now it's just evaporated into nothing. Right. That's yeah. That's the annihilation of souls. Right. And right. I mean, that is a heresy, and that's where I have. I mean, I know for a fact, and we can all know that Pope Francis did not teach this. Right. And, um, you know, he there. There's the. Well, that's the why Scalfari, I didn't say. That's why I didn't say he is, like is a heretic. Right. One, well, of course not. Yeah. But it, these interviews are. I mean, the ideas like that have been put forth in these interviews before. They've never been corrected. You know. I mean, again, it's very unhelpful because we know that there's not that souls are not annihilated, period. Um, and you know, we do know from Scripture that there are at least some people in hell. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I, I I don't 
I don't I don't know um, if there's something special they teach at clergy school <laughs> that we're missing on. Right. Yeah. But did you want to uh, there? You want to talk about some of there are a couple of pains in hell, the pain of loss and the pain of sense. You want to talk about those a little? Yeah, let's talk about those. Okay, so the pain of loss consists in the loss of the beatific vision and in so complete a separation of all the powers of the soul from God that it cannot find in him even the last, the least peace and rest. So you've, you've gotten, a, basically, you, uh, you get a glimpse of God at the judgment and then it's just completely taken from you. So you have, you see, you basically see the potential for the beatific, how do you say it, beatific vision, and then before you know it, gone, complete loss. It is accompanied right. by the loss of all supernatural gifts, including the loss of faith. So. Now, because what I've heard right. is that at yeah at at the moment of death at the ju- at your judgment, um, you do receive sort of the the perfect knowledge that all of your happiness comes from God, right? Whether you know, picturing like Willy Wonka in the 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 good egg bad egg, whether you're a good egg or a bad egg. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know this, and then you either receive. You I mean well, like we talked about the judgment. You get what you wanted, and so you find out what you should have wanted, um, and then you get what you actually wanted. Um, so yeah, like the knowledge of what there is a certain knowledge of what you're missing. So like the souls in hell know more about God and his his love than we do because they know it in a negative sense very strongly. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so one of the then what happens is so they the souls have the a desire for happiness because we all have a desire for happiness. It's our nature in our nature. So this desire for happiness is unsatisfied and they're no longer able to find any compensation for the loss of God in this pleasure and it renders them utterly miserable plus to add fuel to the fire if i may they are well aware that god is infinitely happy and that just increases their hatred and their desire to injure god fills them with extreme bitterness that's where that's where things get real so not only do they lose they feel the pain of this loss it just consumes them with extreme bitterness. And then it's, they have a hatred for all the people in heaven who enjoy heaven. And, yeah, it, it's, it, it just kind of, it, you take, there's no pleasure, and it's just full of bitter anger, which is very intense. Yeah, it's like mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. I'm not <laughs> married, so I can make those jokes. Um, yeah. And again, it's the perfect um, counterpart to the the experience of love in, in heaven. Right. You know, so again, the fact that the souls in heaven are filled with in, uh, infinite happiness, and, you know, it, you, you have to flip that. And so, again, you, you can't, you can't, undercut one without undercutting both right so the pain of loss was new to me when i was learning about this and it may be new to some of our listeners um and the understanding is that there's a um something of a distraction from the pain of loss Mm -hmm. which is what we may all be more familiar with which is the pain of sin do you want to go into that well first of all i like how you call it a distraction because it's not a pleasant distraction but so we, the thing we most associate hell with is fire. When you see it in comics, when you see it in cartoons, when you see it in paintings, you see the fires of hell. 
I mean, it's hotter than hell. Yeah, it's in the rosary. Save us from the fires of hell. Yeah, right. So it is everywhere. The fire of hell is a real thing, Zach. And it. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a constant, continual burn. It it, it's different from you know normal fire here because there's not someone constantly shoveling in coal. Maybe you are as a punishment, but that fire doesn't need coal to burn. It is continuously happening, and it is. It makes sense because if if the pain of loss, if we feel, I I, I don't know. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but if we feel the pain of loss, that can kind of we can feel that in our intellect and our will, right? So if you're in hell and your soul is joined to your body in hell, your body will have to feel some sort of pain. So this is where the pain of sense comes in. This is where the sensitivity comes in because it's actually affecting the, the body itself. Right. So this is important point is that basically, as we know, and we talked about before, there's the general resurrection. So as we talked about in the episode about death, a human is a composite of body and soul. Um, right. The separation of body and soul at death is an unnatural state. Yes. And it causes the body to decay, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, one of the reasons that Our Lady was assumed into heaven and her bodies and her soul you know, together are in heaven um, you know, is because she never sinned, so she doesn't suffer this the, this destruction, um, the bot. So at the end of time, our soul and our bodies will be reunited, um, and we will receive a sort of different body. Our body will be different in that it it will be everlasting, sanctified, um, sanctified perfection. Well, in heaven, right? But it, it, you know, in in hell, the body still comes and it can't be destroyed. So the the pain, you know, all five of your senses. Um, you know, sight. What are the, okay? Touch, smell, taste, sight, hearing. Um, all five of your senses will then participate in the pain of sense, right? And the the torments. Um, and so, but because your body can't really be destroyed, you know, the capacity for for pain is much much greater. So not like your pain tolerance, but like just the ability to to be experience pain and not be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So um, again, stay out of hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's in it. But also, again, as we've said, and we'll talk much more in detail in heaven when your body joins the beatific vision in some way. You know, your body is now participating in your eternal reward. Um. So, so once again, it, it, we may not want to make hell bad, but it because these are opposites. So, um, so along, that's an important right. So along with that, and I know you said this, but I'm going to repeat a little bit. Is would you would you consider this now? Tell me if this is a good way of thinking about it. We'll have if you're in hell. I shouldn't say we, Zach. I should say the souls in hell. Uh, that's another pet peeve of mine as a side note when people make a joke and then they're like, oh man, I'm going to hell. I was like, well, don't say that. Maybe don't make the joke, but also don't say you're going to hell. But anyway, it, if we have this pain of sense, we'll have some sort of, well, again, I say we, the souls in hell will have some sort of flare up on all the senses right? The senses will be on high alert at all times. It's not like your eyes are attacked at once or your touch is attacked. It would just be a constant flare up of all the senses. Right. Well, you know, an important, you know, that's all kind of a component of, of human life and psychology is that you've got the five external senses Mm -hmm. and then you have your four internal senses the first one is your common sense power, and that's not like knowing to plant your corn early. That's um, like common sense means it takes the five senses and, and joins them into a common um, experience, so that you can 
you know, you can see and feel your dog um, and know that that you're feeling your dog, even though you've got multiple senses working, Um, which moves then into the memory where all these things are stored which then goes, you have the imagination is the third internal sense, which can, re, you know, can, can take things from memory and present them um, as images. And then you finally have your, your cognitive power or your, um, what's the, it's like your, uh, yeah, cognitive, yeah, the cognitive. Th- power. There's another word for it, but, you know, it basically can, can compare and make decisions. It, and it, those abstracts, part of body. it abstracts, it assesses, and it, uh, and it, uh, what is it? Assesses, associates, assesses, and abstracts, Zach. Yes. And so those are all part of your body, which Mm -hmm. is why an injury, you know, an injury, a a birth defect, or something physical that happens can impact, of course, the five external senses, Mm -hmm. um, but also any of the four internal senses. So you you can't have an injury that causes you to lose your will um, because, you know, your will is, is part of your immaterial soul. So the will's there. But... You know, the will is sort of a blind faculty. It can only act on what it's presented with, and everything it's presented with filters, again, through the five external senses and the four internal senses. So, you know, your will can be pretty heavily bound by what's being presented to it from the intellect, but those physical components of your intellect will be joined up with your eternal destiny. And so while we're body and soul, the reason that they would say, you know, put the soul before the body is because your soul's going to follow, or your body's going to follow your soul. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever the body injury happens to your body... conforms to the operations of the soul, Zach. Yes, and that goes all the way into eternity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you... I mean, that's why martyrdom is, is, you know, the path to sainthood. I mean, obviously their bodies are destroyed, but then their souls, and then they're going to get their body back um, sanctified. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, not to give like a whole little mini psychology 101 uh, talk with the five senses, but it, it's important to understand man so that you can understand because, you know, God made us for him. And so all of these, these you know, components to humanity are important and they're all at play when you're talking about eternity. Now, We've talked about the fact that there are souls in hell, that hell's a real possibility, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that I found kind of hopeful and, um, you know, was sort of presented to me from a, a theologian who is quite traditional um, and, and really grounded in sort of the perennial teachings. So none of this fluff, no one's in hell, you know, pop stuff, um, pointed out that in heaven you sort of have this hierarchy of grace and that. Um, you know, when the the bad angels, the demons, fell before um, the creation of man, um, it was a, a roughly a third of them that fell. Right. And that it's their places that are going to be inhabited by man. Sure. So, you know, that sort of implies that you know, there's about, if you take all the angels, about, you know, heaven will be two-thirds angels, one-third humans, right? Okay. Okay, well, so there's at least enough angels, according to, you know, the traditions of the church, for everybody to have a guardian angel. Correct. And so that would mean, you know, if you take everyone who's ever lived, that's like the minimum number of 144,000. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you take everyone who's ever lived, that's kind of like the minimum number of angels that there could have been. Right. And so, you know, one-third is half of two-thirds. So you could get to the point where you're saying roughly half of humanity could be saved um, or, or will be saved um, mm-hmm. if you if you look at it that way. But I guess that just helps, you know, the, the gap to be filled is a third of the angels and there's at least enough angels in heaven for everyone to have a guardian angel then there's a lot of gaps to fill and it's not just going to be you know our lady and and saint francis and the canonized saints and um and and fdr and ronald reagan and (laughs) just kidding yeah um you know all your favorite heroes i mean there will be a lot of souls in heaven 
Yeah, um, I I've it heard that. All of them, but I've heard that too, and that was that was comforting in the sense because it's a it's a nice way to if we can take away something nice from this episode, that is a nice thing to think about. Right, and and similarly, you know, God gives everybody every chance that they need. Sure, and so I I, I really don't believe that. A lot of people are just shocked by hell, um, and and I, do, I don't think that that there's anyone that's there because of a. I mean, what we talked about judgment. The judgments are perfect, so you know, no one's there because they had a bad lawyer arguing. For them. <laughs> you know, nobody's there because there was implicit bias in their in their judgment. Particular judgment. Yeah, uh, you know, the decisions were perfect. The decisions were made knowing everything. And, you know, the God that made them wanted and, and gave every opportunity for that soul to, to make it to heaven. So, you know, I don't think this undoes anything that we've said at all, but you can't lose sight of, of that side of it, too. I, I think there's a greater tendency to downplay hell than there is to overshoot it, but our goal is not to make hell scarier our goals not our goal is just to present what what you know we've found and what we've learned from different teachers we've had and theologians and and from the church and uh, hopefully just start a conversation you know just like death nobody wants to talk about it except people love talking about it and that was like our most popular episode because it was just fascinating right yeah so hopefully this one is too we can just scare the hell out of all the listeners. Oh, I see what you did there. Ba-dum-tsh. Final note, get to confession. Don't die with any mortal sins attached to you. Yes. There's, there's confessions more available than you think, because if you go up to a priest and ask him, especially these younger priests, they're going to say yes, and they'll grab their purple soul, and they'll do confession. Yeah. Um, in the In the dogma of hell... The book we were talking about, there's a story about a seminarian who basically left out a sin, and it was a mortal sin when he was at confession, and he kept saying, I'll get back to this, I'll get back to this, and he kind of skirted around the issue, and he went to went to confession, and he kind of weaved his way around the, the sin again, and didn't say it, and then, you know, he time went by and finally he had a he he got he fell ill and he said to himself now is the time I'm going to tell all I'll make a general confession before I die and once again he twisted his sins so artfully that his confessor was unable to understand him that's what it says in the book and he had hoped to come back the next day but an attack of delirium came on and the unfortunate man died so basically it's the point of don't don't twist your sins because you never know if that confession will be your last. Right. And I mean you know, you're not going once it's done, it's done. And you're gonna be so glad that you you just you know, hit your confession out of the park. You're not going to be like, Oh, I totally tricked him. Like I totally yeah. weaseled my way out of actually saying it. Like the more at least I've found, the more clear you are um, the more peace you'll experience after, because you know that you nailed that confession to the, you, you nailed that sin to the cross, absolutely, and and it's gone. Um, yeah, so I mean, and, and you know, it's always kind of like, you know, come to the church. We've got the only cure for hell. Is uh, <laughs> something a priest told me, and you know, that's it should strengthen your evangelization, your zeal for that, knowing, you know, what what heaven is and what hell is and and that you know in the church we have the cure for hell and you know god went to very painful effort to make sure to deliver that cure to us and has you know against our best efforts as the church made sure that that's been passed down all the way two thousand years later so you know don't don't let that go and and you know, don't don't water down what it what it is that we can be spared. Yeah. All right. Well, and that... pray your rosary. Pray your rosary. Pray your rosary. 
Right. That was a uh, good episode, Zach. Glad to be back. The next episode will be on heaven, and that will be coming to you next week or never. Just kidding. Next week. Yes. We, yeah, we're going to be back on track, so we'll be recording it. Um, Zach will be fresh. It's an exciting topic. He'll be fresh off tax day, so his mind will be zonked out. Yes. I will be, I'll have escaped hell and I'll be ready to talk heaven. Amazing. Just kidding. I love tax week. It's fun. Um, but yes. So next week we'll be talking about heaven. We're going to throw in some words about purgatory at some point, but, um, just as a final disclosure, purgatory and hell are not the same thing. So, um, what we just talked about is really nothing to do with purgatory. Okay. Well, thanks for listening gang. It was fun. See you guys next time.